Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this, the first programme of a new year and a new decade, the Irish seafarer from another century, ignored for 200 years, is about to be honoured for what he achieved. It's a mystery. There was a mountain named after him and there was an island named after him and there was a base named after him down there and I'm kind of going, this is unbelievable. And the offshore islands are hoping that the new decade will bring a new future for them. The big questions to answer are, how do we see our islands in 20 years' time? What direction do we want to move in and how will we get there? This Island Nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, coming to you from the studios of CRY 104FM in Yole on the famous River Blackwater and the East Cork coastline. And researching climate change, about which there is so much concern these days, I discovered this week the impact of a great convulsion of nature, as it was described, in the province of Munster in the year 830, in which history records that over a thousand people were killed in a fierce storm, one of the effects of which was to change the flow of the River Blackwater and form a new entrance to Yall Harbour, which was once the biggest port on the south coast. This island nation brings together, through the community radio network, the maritime community around Ireland. An island people, a community that's bounded by the sea around us. And you're very welcome to contact the programme. Our phone number is 0872-555-197 and email thisislandnation at gmail.com. That's phone 0872-555-197 and email thisislandnation at gmail.com. History is our first topic for this edition. We've told you before the story of Edward Bransfield, the then 18-year-old fisherman from County Cork, forced into the British Royal Navy, press-ganged from Cork Harbour in 1803, who fought in the Napoleonic Wars, rose to be an officer and became the first man to sight Antarctica in 1820. The committee in his home village of Ballinacurra in East Cork have raised the money for a memorial after several years' hard work and announced that it will be unveiled there on Saturday the 25th of January at 2pm. Eugene Furlong, a polar enthusiast who discovered Ernest Shackleton's cabin in Norway, which resulted in it being brought back to a thigh where the Shackleton Museum is located and Kildare is Shackleton's home county, and Jim Wilson from Cove, who's an expedition guide in the Antarctic, are amongst the leaders of the Bransfield Commemoration Committee. 2007 was my first year working down there and we were crossing this massive body of water and of course we were always looking at the maps I always like to know where I am in relation to everywhere else and there was written Bransfield Strait and I said I better go check this up and, you know, because I like to know where the names come from and next thing I heard the guy was an Irishman and then I heard he was from Cork and then I heard he was only from across the harbour from where I live and I said this is unbelievable and there was a mountain named after him and there was an island named after him and there was a base uh, named after him down there and I'm kind of going this is crazy and I grew up 
just down the road from, from where he was born and never heard of him. And why has he not been heard of? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Uh, it may have been just that he was unfortunate in his timing. Uh, the British government were becoming very interested in the Northwest Passage and getting a route, a short, quick route to uh, China and Japan and that side of the world. And so they were looking at trying to get a route over the top uh, of North America. And I think when Bransfield came back, uh, that's where their focus was, possibly. And they kind of said, yeah, this is great, but we, we'll stick it on the shelf and we'll come back to it later. Uh, also, he was a master of a ship. He wasn't uh, part of the aristocracy. He was not, uh, you know, like um, a commander or an admiral or anything like that. And uh, he, he never wrote a book about the expedition. Um, we definitely are pretty sure that he did such a good job which is mentioned in the documentary. It's pretty obvious when you read his story. Nobody died. They didn't get stuck in the ice. There was no drama. Did amazing work in mapping and charting. Came back, handed it all in. Job done. You know, there's no story sometimes. You, you, you know yourself, Tom, with, the, with, you know, in the media that we, we, like, we like a bit of drama, you know, to kind of beef it up. And there wasn't really a lot of drama. They, 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 they had... Tough weather, they, they had lots of tough conditions and they just did the job and did it well. So a combination, I think, of, of uh, circumstances. Also, he didn't have a family, by the way. So he, had no, he was married three times, but no children that we're aware of. So there'd be no family to, to carry the name and, and the story of what he did. Uh, and I think that, that also is significant. You made the point that the Russian challenge, the Bellinghausen challenge, cannot be challenged for a particular reason. Absolutely. The, the, we, we spent a lot of time poring over uh, the wording that was going to go on uh, the, the monument. And we know for sure that he was the first, he was the leader of the first expedition to see and chart the Antarctic mainland. The only other contender was Bellingshausen. And he was off to the east at the time. And the, the, the suggestion was three days earlier, he, he, uh, he saw the Antarctic. But recent detailed studies of all the logbooks and notes and, and writings that are available clearly show that they weren't. And that Bransfield and his expedition was the first to see and chart the Antarctic mainland. Eugene Furlong, you make that point as well. And he went into obscurity afterwards. Well, he did, and uh, just as Jim said, when he came back with his great discovery, he was ignored to a certain extent. Um, I, I always imagine he was asked, what were the people like down there? Were they dripping in gold? And he, he said, there's no people down there. No, they're not dripping in gold. So the English... British wanted this Northwest Passage. If Bransfield had to find people with gold, oh yeah, he would have been a hero bigger than Cook or any of the rest of them. But this Northwest Passage was the goal of the time. And if you think of it, back then you had uh, trading routes from London to Australia, New Zealand, halfway around the world, they were able to sail. But that little 800-mile gap 
between the bottom of South America and the tip of Antarctica was never breached until Edward Bransfield done it in 1820. What drives you on, despite all the lack of knowledge of him in Ireland, to recognise him, to build a memorial? What keeps the committee going? Just as you said, you know, it's the total lack of knowledge about him that we are able to keep researching and digging up and getting new bits and pieces all the time. And, like, when you look at all the Irish people back in that great era of discovery... Uh, down in the Antarctic all of them have a monument Francis Crozier Ernest Shackleton Tom Crane Robert Ford the McCarthy brothers Patsy Cohan but no we have the first okay he's last no for a monument but he was the first down to Antarctica you know which is a great thing we had the monument uh, in the shape of a navigation beacon. Uh, there's a sextant on it. There'll be a penguin on it as well. And uh, he should be in the centre uh, and the one around which all the other Irish explorers uh, radiate. And I think it's a very fitting way to, to put Bransfield in context, not only in words, but actually in context in stone. And as Jim Wilson said in that interview, the Russian Bellinghausen did not see Antarctica first, even though the Russians claimed they did. And, in fact, it was the Balanacora man. But it does make me think, Russia and Putin versus Balanacora, and Balanacora wins. And the memorial will be unveiled there on Saturday the 25th of this month at 2pm. well-known lifeboat men have retired having given 74 years service between them to the RNLI one in Feathered and the other in Kilmore Quay. From the RNLI Irish headquarters in Swords County Dublin, here's their public affairs manager Nia Stevenson It was the end of an era with the retirement of one of the most respected and loved lifeboat men in the RNLI Brian Kyo, or Blondie as he is affectionately known Retired from Kilmore Quay, RNLI, after 50 years with the organisation. Brian was a lifeboat volunteer for 25 of those years before becoming the station mechanic. His encyclopaedic knowledge of lifeboats was called on many times by both staff and volunteers and everyone knew him. Every crew member on a call out or exercise had absolute confidence in the lifeboat under Brian's care and this meticulous nature continued inside the lifeboat station too. Brian went afloat for his final exercise on the last Tuesday in December. He was joined by lifeboat crew from the flanking lifeboat stations of Rosslare Harbour, Feathered-on-Sea and Dunmore East, along with colleagues from Kilmore Key Coast Guard and Rescue 117. In a fitting end, Brian was winched from the lifeboat up to the helicopter before returning to the harbour where he walked back to the shore through a guard of honour and applause to his waiting family. 
Brian isn't the only Lifeboat crew member retiring on the same day. A well-respected crew member who was a fountain of knowledge on the inshore lifeboat was retiring from lifeboat duties at Feathered Oranelai in Wexford. Duncannon man Hugh Burke has given 24 years voluntary service to the Hook Peninsula area with Feathered Oranelai. Hugh joined the lifeboat in 1996, advancing to the position of helm after just a few short years, and then continued in the position of Deputy Launching Authority after his service finished on the lifeboat. In this role, Hugh, with his watchful eye, ensured the safety and well-being of the feathered crew. Now, Christmas is not a rest for lifeboat crew. Over the festive break, lifeboat crew were called out on a number of occasions. Hothorn Ally launched their inshore lifeboat to a kite surfer in trouble 200 metres off Port Marnock Beach. In a force five and a rough sea state, they were thankfully unharmed when the lifeboat crew got to them and brought them to safety. Loch Derg was involved in the dramatic rescue of two kayakers near Gary Kennedy. Along with the Gardaí and the Coast Guard with Rescue 116 and Killaloo, a major search and rescue operation swung into action. After sighting the two casualties in the water, Rescue 115 hovered above the location where the two kayakers were holding onto their kayaks in the freezing water below. The lifeboat crew brought them into the lifeboat and began casualty care. On shore, they were handed over to the care of the ambulance crews with their condition unknown. The crew were relieved to learn later that evening that both were expected to make a full recovery. But not all call-outs end so happily. Volunteers at Crosshaven or in Ally were called to reports of a non-responsive diver during the afternoon, the day before New Year's Eve. They were launched upriver from Crosshaven Lifeboat Station. However, while preparing to launch the lifeboat, the vessel with the diver on board arrived at the lifeboat station and lifeboat crew, which included two paramedics, were joined by Crosshaven Coast Guard and immediately began casualty care. This continued until rapid response and a critical care doctor arrived on scene. It was subsequently reported that the male diver had died and the thoughts of everyone at Crosshaven or in a lie are with the man's family. We face into a new year with an incredible group of men and women who continue to give their time and their passion to a charitable organisation. Now, some are just starting out, while others like Brian and Hugh are coming to the end of their service. We are immensely proud of all of them and eternally grateful to them and their families and their employers for their service. Happy New Year to all. Neil Stevenson reporting. Dublin Port Company says that anyone with an interest in the future development of cruise ship tourism in Dublin should submit their views to the company's ongoing public consultation, which will continue until Friday the 17th of January. The company has published a cruise consultation discussion document and is seeking opinions from the public and the business community about what it describes as the appetite of the city of Dublin for large-scale cruise tourism. The environmental considerations, specifically area emissions and the financial challenge of funding proposed new cruise ship berths. Submissions can be made an email to cruiseconsultation at dublinport.ie or by post to the company's offices at the Port Centre, Alexandra Road, Dublin 1. Now Justin Marr brings a roundup of maritime news from home and overseas waters.
first on home waters. While the outcome of the annual EU fisheries catching quota discussions in late December was a total package of 195,000 tonnes of fish worth, according to the Minister for Marine Michael Creed, a total of 275 million euro for the Irish fishing industry, with increases for catches of mackerel, haddock, monkfish and megrams in the Celtic Sea. There's been a 15% reduction in prawns, which are a major fishery for Irish fishermen. There have also been cuts for whiting and cod to protect those stocks based on proposals from the Marine Institute and Board Ishiwara, drawn up working with the fishing industry, whose representative organisations have disputed claims by environmental organisations that scientific advice on stocks is being ignored. There are mixed views about the outcome of the negotiations amongst the organisations, with fears of job losses in some sectors at a time when, while overall employment nationally has gone above 2.3 million people in work in Ireland for the first time last year, the fishing industry was one of three where there was a total loss of more than 5,000 jobs. Agriculture and forestry were the other two which suffered a downturn. The government has approved the Marine Development Bill, about which in a previous programme we interviewed Minister Damien English, who's responsible for its introduction. Public consultation meetings will continue this month and next, but the Department of the Marine has refused to be involved in the development of the plan, and how this will be resolved is not clear. Piracy at sea is getting worse in the Southeast Asia Straits of Malacca and Singapore, one of the world's busiest trade routes, according to official statistics. There were 30 pirate raids on shipping last year, compared to eight in 2018. For the first time, scientists have managed to track the route of young salmon leaving Irish waters on the east coast in their annual trek to feeding grounds in the North Atlantic. Researchers from Inland Fisheries Ireland and Northern Ireland's Agri-Food and Biosciences Institute tagged the salmon with tiny transmitters and found that they travel northwards to leave the Irish Sea rather than south and west and join with salmon on the west coast for their annual journey. Inshore fishermen held a meeting in Dingle, County Kerry at the end of December and called for a cull of the sea population, claiming that an unsustainable level of damage was being caused to fish stocks and fishing nets by an increase in the numbers of grey and common seals in the area. Both species are protected under the EU Habitats Directive. The Blasket Islands are a special area of conservation for seals. And finally, those iconic birds seen on cliffs and at marine headlands, the puffins, have been discovered to have a new ability. A study by Oxford University scientists has seen them use tools to clean themselves on Skoma Island in Wales. Scratching their backs with wooden sticks held in their mouths and a sighting on Grimsey Island in Iceland where one was observed picking up a stick to scratch its chest. With its bobbing walk and clown-like markings, the puffin might not be considered the most quick-witted bird, say the scientists. But this is the first time anything like this has been seen and shows they are quick-witted. And there we are, quick-witted puffins. I'd always think of that now when I see them along the coastline down there around West Cork between Castletown Bear and into Kerry. Justin Marr reporting there, and now we head to Inishlar Island in Clue Bay in County Mayo to hear from Rhoda Twombly, Secretary of Cogol Ilona Heron, the Islands Federation, how the offshore islands are hoping that the new decade will bring a new approach to their future. 
Hello and a happy new year from the islands. May 2020 bring us all health and happiness as well as an innovative action plan to tackle our challenges and increase sustainability. To start the year off on a positive footing, the Department of Culture, Heritage and the Gaeltacht will be visiting the islands as part of a public consultation on island policy. Launched at the end of November by Minister of State Sean Kine and Thonished to Simon Coveney on Shirkin Island, the Department is keen to hear from as many individuals and committees as possible to listen to their views on island policy and ideas on the future development and support of island communities. This is a hugely important process that will feed strongly into the creation of the first island's policy in 23 years. The consultations will begin in the second week of January on the Cork Islands and continue for about three months. It will be helpful for residents to meet ahead of the consultation workshops to map out in detail their vision for their island in the future. The big questions to answer are, how do we see our islands in 20 years' time? What direction do we want to move in and how will we get there? The discussion paper is available to the public on the department website, chg.ie, and hard copies will be available at the workshops. The document is thorough and outlines the policies and programs already in place, thereby highlighting what needs to be added to the action plan. It has been stressed that contributions will be welcomed from all interested parties, so don't hesitate to contact the department with your ideas. The workshops will be organized through the individual island development offices and co-ops. Efforts will be made by the department through the communities on Inishturk, Clare Island and Inishbofan to organize workshops as these islands are currently without development personnel. There were plenty of celebrations and festive parties in Cadiz on the islands this Christmas season. Tory Island threw a smashing Christmas dinner followed by music and dancing in their beautifully decorated club. While there were festive events down on Bear Island, there are also plenty of park runs organized to burn off some Christmas calories. Five runs were held over the holidays. They also had a very special Christmas-themed radio program. Bear is preparing already for their turn in the consultation process. Officials from the department and hopefully added ministerial attendants will visit on the 17th of January. The inaugural Lee Early Indoor Football Tournament on Aaron Moore was hugely supported by the community and €1,371 was raised for the RNLI. Lee was a dedicated lifeboat volunteer who tragically lost his life in November, so it was most appropriate to set up this tournament in his name. With a spot of humour on their Facebook page, Aaron Moore RNLI noted that the RNLI teams who were involved will need physio to put their old knees back in place and the oxygen cylinders will be replaced on Monday. Well done, lads and ladies. Once again, I'm out of time, but be on the lookout for New Island products, lovely gin from Ilonclera and seaweed-based products from Inishmore. But for now, it's Slawn from the Islands. Rhoda Twombly reporting from Inishlar in lovely Clue Bay in County Mayo. Now Miles Kelly has the latest angling news from Fisheries Ireland. The winter leagues are a great excuse to get anglers out over the colder months and we had reports of decent catches from O'Brien's Bridge in County Clare, Loch Mokno in Monaghan, Loch Ern in Fermanagh and Oaklands in Waterford. 
This is a great time of year for pike anglers too. There's plenty of fishing to be had, even in the coldest days. So there's always pike anglers out looking for a good double, 20 or that elusive 30 pounder. Many pike clubs hold competitions too, and before the floods we had reports in from the Midlands, Galway and Cavan. There were a few different reports in from the Midlands and Cavan, and some good fish in them too, but it was Brendan Jervis's pike from Cavan that caught the eye. Fishing with Newbridge pike and district anglers, Brendan had a lovely 21 pound pike. It's hard to beat the look of a good 20 pound fish. It's been a tough month for sea anglers, but I had some few shore angling reports in. There's been a bit of cod fishing around Cork Harbour and Waterford, some decent whiting coming at times too. There's been the usual fishing on the east coast and in the southeast. Manapia anglers had some great flounder fishing at Duncannon. Bass anglers will probably be aware that the EU has decided on regs for 2020, catch and release for the first two months and two fish per day per angler after that. It stands for now, but Ireland may introduce stricter measures. Options available are increasing the size limit, decreasing the bag limit, or implementing a closed season. Nothing has been decided yet, but we'll keep you posted. Safe fishing to all, and don't forget, CPR saves fish. Miles Kelly of Fisheries Ireland, ending this island nation produced at CRY 104FM Yall on the East Cork coastline. With technical supervision by Justin Marr and broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland in Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. On Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, in Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. On Radio Kirkabashkeen in Clare, Kilkenny City Radio, West Limerick 102 FM, in Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and Eris FM Belmullet, Cork City Radio, West Cork FM and Community Radio Bear Island. Podcasts on iTunes, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify and the marinetimes.ie. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. The programme email address is thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone and text 0872 555 197. That's email thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone or text 0872 555 197. Until our next programme, from me, Tom McSweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing.